Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Gartner regarding infant jaundice. Dr. Gartner is an emeritus professor of pediatrics at the University of Chicago, and he specializes in newborn jaundice. Today, we're going to talk about the differential diagnosis and the relationship between jaundice and breastfeeding, as well as uh, breast milk jaundice. So obviously, we want to try our hardest to prevent such severe jaundice. And the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a policy statement, I think it was back in 2004, encouraging all physicians and hospitals to be screening infants prior to discharge from the hospital uh, for jaundice. And can you talk a little about that and what you would recommend that hospitals do in terms of screening? Yes, I think a recommendation to screen all babies before discharge, uh, regardless of their risk status, uh, is a very good one. Uh, And now that there is transcutaneous uh, bilirubin measurement available uh, with uh, really very good uh, results, very good technique. One can get a an accurate serum bilirubin level without drawing blood. Anyway, I think doing this, one needs to uh, plot the result. Let's say that the babies are going home at roughly 48 hours of life. Uh, and the transcutaneous measurement is done at, let's say, 40 hours. Uh, it doesn't really matter when it's done. It should be done in the second day of life uh, to get better accuracy. Uh, you want to plot it out on a graph, and there's a very useful graph uh, that Dr. Bhutani uh, published some years ago, and which is actually contained in the Academy of Pediatrics uh, document, so it's readily available. Uh, and in most hospitals, when they draw the, when they do the bilirubin, they plot it on this curve. And this curve gives a an index of uh, risk for the baby developing more severe jaundice. Uh, And the whole idea, of course, is to predict which babies need more careful follow-up because they're more likely to develop very high levels of bilirubin in the next few days. Um, And the problem we have now and have had for some years is that babies are leaving the hospital uh, somewhere at the end of the second day of life. But the peak bilirubin Uh, occurs on the third or fourth days of life. So the babies will be at home when their 
at their greatest likelihood of developing the more severe jaundice. Uh, and therefore, one wants to be able to get some idea of which babies are more likely to get into trouble with bilirubin than others. And those babies do need to be seen more frequently if they fall into the higher risk categories on this Bhutani curve. So instead of seeing them as the routine recommendation is uh, to see babies uh, approximately 48 hours after discharge or when they're three to five days of age, uh, that's a baby you may want, uh, should want to see uh, a day later. So you have the baby brought back or you can have a home visitor go out and look at the baby and even do a uh, bilirubin on the baby the next day to see where that bilirubin is going and whether it's beginning to rise up to a level where it might cause uh, brain damage. So let's say that um, a physician is seeing a baby, um, let's say day three or day four um, postpartum in the office, and the baby has a high bilirubin. The, the doctor is concerned and, the, and he does a bilirubin and he somehow gets his result back in an hour and the bilirubin is, um, let's say, 19.5 or 20. Um, what would be things that that physician should be thinking about in terms of a differential diagnosis um, as the cause of, his, of the baby's hyperbilirubinemia? Well, uh, there's a, obviously a whole list of uh, what we often call pathologic causes, uh, which really have to be ruled out. Uh, and some of them may have been ruled out in the hospital, but some of them may not. Uh, RH and ABO incompatibility with a positive Coombs uh, is certainly one of the major causes, although we're seeing very little RH disease these days. Uh, we do see some, and uh, it certainly is important to see if that is the cause of the excessive jaundice. Uh, these days, it turns out that about a third of all the babies uh, with severe hyperbilirubinemia, <clears throat> and including those who've developed tranectorous, have uh, G6PD deficiency, that is glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency. Uh, this is an enzyme in red cells which, if it's deficient, allows the red cells to hemolyze more readily, to break down more readily. And uh, those newborns who have this deficiency, uh, and it's not rare, it's a relatively common uh, inherited abnormality, uh, are at much greater risk for developing severe jaundice. In some cases, the uh, hemolysis that occurs in babies who have G6PD deficiency uh, has been related to exposure uh, to certain chemicals or drugs which can cause the babies to hemolyze. Uh, interestingly enough, the eating of fava beans, which is a large, I think it's a white bean, uh, in these, if the mother eats it and the baby is breastfeeding, uh, the transfer of even a tiny amount 
of that of the chemical from the fava beans can cause the baby to have hemolysis and severe jaundice. And we do recommend that breastfeeding mothers not eat fava beans. Uh, we also know that uh, uh, mothballs, naphthalene mothballs, can do that as well by inhalation. And the baby can inhale mothball vapors, uh, which in a G6PD deficient baby can also precipitate severe hemolysis. But in most of the babies that uh, have, have G6PD deficiency and severe jaundice, no specific inciting cause can be identified. It just seems to happen uh, without any known uh, cause to trigger the hemolysis. Uh, and it, uh, it really is not fully understood why these babies have the severe jaundice. But it's a major cause among the pathologic causes of severe jaundice. So shall we talk about what would be most common, a most common finding, particularly in a baby who's breastfeeding, who has hyperbilirubinemia? Well, the breastfeeding has uh, an interesting interaction with bilirubin. Uh, as I mentioned, the babies who uh, develop severe jaundice before they get cronicterous often have poor feeding. Uh, and this actually occurs uh, fairly readily and probably quite frequently in babies whose bilirubins reach somewhere in the level of 15, 18, uh, 20, even in full-term healthy babies, uh, and they become poor feeders. Uh, and this can occur whether they're breastfeeding or formula feeding, but is really more of a problem with the breastfeeders, often because uh, the mothers don't realize that the babies are not eating as well or getting as much nutrition. Uh, and it turns out that poor caloric intake, that is a reduction in the amount of nutrition, particularly calories, that the baby ingests causes an increase in the bilirubin level in the blood. Now, this is not unique to newborns because if adults, uh, adult humans and animals, uh, mammals, uh, various kinds, including horses and uh, monkeys and others, if they starve or they have inadequate caloric intake, the bilirubin goes up. And in adults, it goes up just a little bit. Uh, it's measurable increase, but it uh, certainly doesn't get to be severe. But in newborns who have many uh, developmental or physiologic reasons for having elevated bilirubin levels, and they do normally as physiologic jaundice, if they are starving or have inadequate caloric intake, their bilirubin levels can go quite high. And you get into a vicious cycle where the bilirubin rises into a, to a point, usually over 15, uh, where the baby becomes lethargic, 
doesn't feed as well. The poor feeding causes a further increase in the bilirubin, and you get into this cycle of poor feeding and elevating bilirubin, where the bilirubin keeps going up and up and up. And those are the babies who are at risk of developing crinicterus uh, because of this starvation factor. So uh, what one really wants to do is ensure uh, good intake. The babies who have inadequate intake, the reason for their inadequate intake may be the elevated bilirubin, but it also may be that the breastfeeding uh, itself is not going well, that there's a problem with the adequacy of the uh, baby's uh, milk transfer. The baby may not be feeding well, the baby may have uh, a problem, or the mother may have a problem, but the net result is that the baby gets inadequate calories. And so it's very important that the adequacy of the breastfeeding be monitored. And certainly that's one of the reasons for the early visit at uh, three to five days of age to be sure that the baby's weight is good and that the baby is not losing excessive weight and is actually beginning to gain, uh, to watch and observe a breastfeeding. Uh, when we did the follow-up in our uh, clinic in Chicago, we always had the mothers feed the baby. We actually did this not just for breastfeeders, we also did it for the formula feeding uh, babies uh, to be sure that the babies were being fed properly. Uh, and if there was a problem with the breastfeeding in the way the position, the latch, uh, or if the baby had a tongue tie or some other problem, whatever it was, we would give that immediate attention and correct whatever the problem was so the breastfeeding would continue in a successful way and the baby would not have this starvation effect. Uh, so it, it certainly is very important to monitor the breastfeeding as a way of preventing excessive hyperbilirubinemia or uh, uh, crinicterus. Right. So I, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about breast milk jaundice. Can you define it and um, talk about who's at risk for breast milk jaundice? Okay. Well, breast milk jaundice is what I alluded to earlier as the extension of physiologic jaundice of the newborn. After about five days of age, uh, in bottle-fed babies, the bilirubin usually drops very quickly and returns to the adult normal uh, level of about one milligram per deciliter of bilirubin in the blood. Breastfed babies have a much, much greater likelihood and probably more than two-thirds maybe as much as 80 or 90 percent of breastfed babies have a prolongation of their physiologic jaundice. It's not at a very high level. In fact, it's at a fairly low level in most babies, but it goes on for a longer period of time, uh, often in the range of three, four, five, six, seven milligrams per deciliter. Um, but they remain somewhat jaundiced during this prolongation period, which, as I mentioned earlier, 
can go as long as two, and it's been reported even three months. Uh, the reason for this entity, which is called breast milk jaundice, is that human milk, most human milk, for the early weeks and in some cases months of life of babies of breastfeeding, uh, contains a substance which increases the intestinal absorption of bilirubin. Bilirubin is normally excreted by the liver into the bile and therefore into the intestine. Uh, and most of the bilirubin is excreted in the stool, but in breastfed babies, a greater percentage of the bilirubin gets reabsorbed across the intestinal mucosa and returns to the circulation where it again has to be excreted by the liver. Uh, so it is this factor which has never been defined uh, which exists in human milk that promotes the uh, continuation, if you will, of physiologic jaundice. Uh, now one could ask why did this evolutionary evolve? Uh, and it's an interesting question, which I've often thought about. Uh, the best explanation, or likely explanation, and there is some evidence for it, although we'd like even better evidence, is that the prolongation of jaundice is a protective mechanism as long as the level of bilirubin is not too high, that is not into the toxic or dangerous level. And for the great majority of breastfed babies, it is not. It's within the safe level. The prolongation produces a, produces a, uh, uh, an antioxidant effect. Bilirubin is an antioxidant and the presence of it in the somewhat elevated level, modestly elevated level, provides antioxidant protection for the baby during a period of time when babies are particularly susceptible to oxygen-free radical damage. And so that's the presumed explanation for the evolutionary advantage of the breastfed baby having a somewhat elevated level of bilirubin for a longer period of time. So if, um, if a physician finds that, um, a, that their one-month-old uh, patient, that the one-month-old patient has some jaundice and does a bilirubin and finds that it's, let's say, oh, let's say it's 12, um, and then the physician rechecks the bilirubin, um, let's say in three or four days and find that finds that it's 11.7, would you say that it would be important for the physician to intervene and try to bring that level down right away? Or is it reasonable to not do any more checks um, in the future? Well, it's both reasonable to not do anything to treat it because it doesn't need treatment. It's obviously in a safe level. Uh, 
and the evidence that it was falling and not rising uh, indicates that it's in the stage in which it's uh, dropping. It's probably dropping very slowly, but it's declining toward the normal level. And at a month of age, that's not unusual, and nothing should be done at that point. Uh, the only uh, reason for doing a bilirubin at, in a jaundiced baby at a month of age is to be sure that the bilirubin is all of the indirect or unconjugated type, uh, which is what one sees in breast milk jaundice and in physiologic jaundice. If the direct fraction is elevated to more than uh, 10% of the total, or more than two milligrams per deciliter, uh, that begins to suggest that there may be some biliary or liver disease involved. And that's really the major reason uh, you want to pick up the babies who have biliary atresia or neonatal hepatitis early uh, in their course so that you can treat them and uh, you may actually be able to uh, do surgical intervention for biliary atresia at that time uh, and later it may be too late to do that kind of surgery. Uh, so it's generally recommended if the baby at a month or six weeks is still having visible jaundice, it's a good idea to do a bilirubin. In most cases, it'll turn out to be uh, a benign situation in which there's normal uh, physiologic prolongation of the jaundice and a bilirubin of anywhere up to uh, 12, 13, 14 uh, would not be uh, in need of any treatment. Uh, most of the babies are actually going to have somewhat lower levels of uh, five, six, or seven. And many will not even be jaundiced, although their bilirubin level may be elevated. Uh, so they may have two or three, but it's too low to cause clinical jaundice. And so you would, so in summary, if we, in summary, if we talk um, just uh, briefly about treatment, if a baby is well hydrated, who's breastfeeding, let's say, and has significant hyperbilirubinemia, do you see any reason to introduce formula um, in order to help alleviate the hyperbilirubinemia, no matter what the cause? Well, no, I would not introduce formula in the breastfed baby uh, unless the level was much higher, that is, up at a level uh, where there was risk of crinicterus. And in general, that will be in the level of 20 or higher. So if they're below 20, uh, there is no need to do anything except assure that there's good breastfeeding going on. Great. Well, thank you very much, Larry, for spending some time with me on this podcast. This has been incredible information. Well, I'm glad to do it. It's my pleasure. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med. Dot .org Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.